You're now listening to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast, hosted by the editors of the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. You can subscribe to the podcast and make suggestions for topics and guests at gcasummit.com slash podcast. Apple and Android users can also find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Welcome to the third episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. This episode is sponsored by SmartSky Networks. Effective internet security and privacy products, whether in the air or on the ground, are highly dependent on low latency, bi-directional, and high bandwidth networks. For in-flight connectivity, only SmartSky Networks is designed to provide all of these important requirements necessary to protect your data while in the air. With nearly 100 patents granted and more in process, SmartSky Networks provides excellent user experiences which are comparable to at-home service and download speed and latency while exceeding typical at-home upload speeds. If ensuring your aviation communications are secure as well as blazing fast are important to you, then check them out at SmartSkyNetworks.com for information on their network and their products. Remember, SmartSky Networks for all your aviation connectivity requirements. SmartSky, designed to serve the aviation industry. So this is the third episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, one of the editors behind the annual Global Connected Aircraft Summit. And this will be the first of a two-part interview we will be releasing in the first part in this episode and the second part in episode four of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. Recently had a chance to catch up with Jessica Ferguson, who is the Director of Information Security Architecture at Alaska Airlines. In 2017, shortly after Alaska Airlines closed its acquisition of Virgin America, the Seattle-based airline experienced a breach of their network. And this wasn't a breach into any type of safety-critical aircraft systems. It was actually into an Aircom server that was used by Virgin America to store and update technical information about their Airbus fleet. Obviously, as this you know network was transitioned and integrated into Alaska Airlines network, a breach of that system occurred. This hacking of that system was conducted by a sophisticated Chinese hacking group that is well known by the U.S. Department of Defense. Now, Jessica could not identify the name of this group during the interview due to security reasons, but we did get a chance to learn about how airlines deal with cyber breaches of their networks. Again, this was, you know, non-safety critical systems. This was their kind of their back-end network that they use for storing information like different parameters about their fleet of aircraft, how to operate them. That gets updated regularly. The FAA needs access to that information as well, which is one of the reasons why they weren't able to, you know, immediately update that system and patch it and prevent that hacker from moving around. So this is going to be the first part of that interview. You'll hear the second part in episode four. I know most of my colleagues are in Boston right now at the 2018 Apex event, where I know there will be a lot of in-flight connectivity news. So look out for some coverage of that on the www.gcasummit.com website as well. So let's get into the first part of our interview with Jessica Ferguson, 
Director of Information Security Architecture at Alaska Airlines. So if you could just first give us some information about your background, education, and career experience, as well as just how you ultimately came into your position with Alaska Airlines. I started in IT pretty much right out of high school, started doing help desk work, so this was about, I think, 19 years ago now, just to date myself, and started doing help desk work and moved uh, up as a network engineer, did networking for a while, and then moved into security. Ultimately, ended up as the manager of, of corporate and security and threat intel and security engineering at ServiceNow, which is a software as a service cloud platform. Left there, ended up at F5, again, building threat intelligence and center response teams. So I've had quite a, a long history in secure themes and a response security threat intelligence. That's pretty much, you know, a lot of my background is in that space. And uh, I was at F5, and a close friend of mine came to F5 to work as the uh, CISO. He asked me if I would come over and join him. I uh, had always kind of been in aviation, kind of like geek, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity to kind of merge my interest in aviation with technology, and I was also really fascinated, and have always been really fascinated with this whole concept of e-enabled aircraft and kind of that convergence that we talked about before about aircraft and technology and how do you secure that, how do you attack that, and how do you protect that. What are your, some of your primary responsibilities at Alaska, and how did you ultimately come into being the Director of Information Security Architecture there? So I, have a couple, I wear a couple different hats at Alaska. You know, we're a pretty small team, and so people are pretty fast and pretty flexible. I handle pretty much three domains of experience. The first one is security architecture, so I review a lot of our designs and projects and initiatives that are happening to ensure that they uh, standardize to our security control internally and security policy internally. And then I also run our incident response and threat intelligence team. I have a manager that reports to me who has a team of incident responders and threat hunters. So that primary function is managing security incidents, looking for threats in the environment. I also directly supervise a small group of intel analysts uh, threat intelligence analysts, so we're doing more strategic operational and tactical threat intelligence assessment and really trying to start to work with the business on providing threat intelligence information uh, in response back into uh, into the environment. I got hired in as the director of security architecture, and I think my background uh, in incident response and threat intelligence kind of ended up uh, taking over those those initiatives as well. Internally. Okay. And one of the most interesting things you mentioned in your keynote at the Global Connected Aircraft Summit earlier this year was that Alaska is a technology company that flies airplanes, which was a pretty interesting observation. Could you kind of expand on that and give us some of your perspective on that? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, so much of what we do now is driven by technology, right? You know, I think that it is a very specialized and amazing skill set for people who can fly planes for pilots. You know, obviously there is, we have a huge operational staff and frontline staff that support our customers and our guests and that side of the business. 
But really, if we look at how we operate as a business, it is all technology-driven, right? From the sales of tickets to and reservations to the weight and balance, maintenance engineering functions, um, you know, all of those things are riding on critical systems, critical technology systems, right? That operation can't really run, you know, for very long, you know, without IT systems. They might be able to run for, say, you know, two to three hours if a critical system or, you know, critical part of our, our flight um, operations platform goes down. And then really, you know, we broken past that ability to run the air you know, run the airline on a pen and paper. And it's really gone into you know, everything now. And especially with how busy a lot of these hub airports have gotten, you have to be able to move more quickly and more agile than ever before, right? Planes have to get to the right gates, catering services have to get to the planes, you know, maintenance, fuel, all those things have to happen super fast to get that plane in set up to turn around and then push back from the gate again. And all of that is being run on technology. I think that's a piece, you know, it's really easy to kind of look at the front end of an airline and see all the people, right? You know, if you look at, you know, our company of 25,000, I think 20-ish are all frontline employees, right? Who interact directly with guests and passengers. And there is a huge amount of infrastructure and teams that support all of those functions on the back end. Interesting. And so let's discuss the security breach that occurred in 2017 that you said cost Alaska Airlines $2.5 million to resolve. Can you take us through that entire situation from start to finish? When you discovered the vulnerability, what the process was like of resolving it, and then how it was ultimately resolved? Sure. Yeah. And that $2.5 million, we did some research into that. So if you look at the amount of money that we spent in things like new tools, new intelligence information, external counsel, plus the, just the cost of our employees' time. You know, we have huge team focused on this for quite a period of time. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big dollar number. So, so one of the things that happens when you acquire a company, any company, and this is pretty pretty typical, is your security team usually goes and starts playing out their their endpoint systems, kind of getting a layer of the land. Trying to understand, you know, what is vulnerable, uh, you know, if there's any vulnerabilities in the network that we need to understand. So we started that outside of December of 2016. March of 2017, actually, funny enough, it was my third third week on the job. It was, you know, fresh phase in Alaska. We get notified by one of our security partners that we work with that they found what appeared to be a remote access toolkit for a rat on several systems inside of the work environment. One of the things we had done at that point in time was we pretty much kept those two networks, the Virgin network and the Alaska network separate, even after we closed the deal. And that was that was a strategic decision that, you know, actually ended up saving us a lot in the end and really allowed us to kind of, you know, maintain separation. So you know, we ensured that if there was a vulnerability or an issue, Inside of that Virgin America network, it did not affect the Alaska Airlines network. So we got pulled into a security incident. We split up our entire CERT team, cybersecurity and CERT team, and basically we uh, set about really trying to understand 
so there's kind of a process that you kind of go through, right? So it's really about, you know, containing the threat, mitigating the threat, and resolving the threat. So we kind of started going through a discovery process, understanding everything that was breached and was compromised, looking at basically getting an inventory of, you know, all of the administrator accounts that the actor compromised, all the platforms that they compromised. Because really when you're dealing with a sophisticated threat actor like we were, you really have to take them all out at once. If you leave any stone and turns, they will use that and then just compromise more systems. And then you're constantly beating fires. And, and I have experienced that you know, where you don't get everything the first time and then they recompromise the environment again and you're kind of you know, like whack-a-mole with the threat actor. So it was very important to us to keep that, to take the two weeks that it took to really understand, you know, not tip our hand to the threat actor really understand what the impact was and come up with a good containment strategy. And, you know, really hats off in my mind to our executive team who basically said, yeah, that's, you know, do what you need to do and we'll back your play on this. That's really hard to go to. Executives tend to be risk averse and say, hey, we're going to take a little bit of a risk here and watch this situation and come up with a comprehensive plan before taking action on that. So, you know, I really applaud our executive because I know our, our leadership in IT for that. And then from there, we print, coordinated a burn down. We reset user accounts, reset administrator accounts, flattened boxes, rebuilt boxes, really kind of all in one big 24-hour push and basically pushed the adversary out. The big challenge that we had, and, and I brought this up a little bit, was the initial compromise, as far as we can tell, was actually an external compromise that hosts Airbus technical documents. It was, and I actually said wrong at the keynote, it was a, an Apache Scrux vulnerability that was uh, exploited to get in. It was actually the same vulnerability that was used to exploit the Equifax breach. And then from there, the actor basically moved laterally um, inside the environment. One of the challenges we had was that was a vendor controlled system. And so we really had to go back to the vendor and you know, or else we would be out of compliance with the vendor. We had to go to the vendor and work with them to get a patch. And initially they came back and said, Oh, well, this will take, you know, six months. And we're like, No, we can't we can't wait six months. We have people currently exploiting vulnerabilities to get inside of our environment. Now they did eventually turn that around. I think it took them about a month to turn it around. But, you know, the, the challenge with, with vendors, especially in their space, is we want to be able to QA test everything, regression test everything, and we want to have very methodical and fully planned deployments, which don't let them lend themselves well when, you know, you have a compliance environment. And so we did ultimately resolve threats issue. It was an interesting challenge, right, because, you know, while we had systems on, on the on the the server, you know, we couldn't take it offline because it was critical to flight operations. We couldn't take it off the internet because it was critical to some, for the FAA to be able to access and, and Airbus. And so we were kind of just stuck, right, with the system where, you know, we had, now we had software and visibility into it. We could see the actor trying to execute things on it. And we would kind of monitor and watch it, and there was really nothing we could do to stop it, right? We just kind of kind of sit there and you know, watch and make sure they weren't actually able to break out of the security controls that we put in place around that system. That was kind of the entire process. It was probably, I think, about three months' worth of work. And then, of course, after that, 
you know, external counsel starts working with your legal team to figure out what data was, was exfiltrated and, you know, what public notifications had to occur. And that's kind of how the story became public was through the public notifications that we do in the state of California and a couple of different other states where we had effective employees. And maybe back up a quick second. You said they were inside of Alaska's environment. Can you tell us what that environment was? I believe it was an airborne server. Was that correct? So, sorry, I should be very clear. It was inside of Virgin's environment. So, again, at that point in time, the Virgin America network was still separate from the Alaska Airlines network. This was a ground system in the Virgin environment that was used for technical documentation for the Airbus aircraft. You discovered the actor themselves and that they have an interest in ACARS. Now, can you kind of describe who this threat actor was? And, and uh, it, it is really interesting to, to know that you were able to just kind of watch them move around in the network as well. So the actor is a relatively well-known tiny cracker. I can't really name a lot of names only because some of the names I'm not really able to kind of release publicly. With that said, we have we have coordinated with multiple different agencies as well as with the federal government, including sections of the DOD. And they have confirmed to us that this threat actor has taken an interest in aviation. And particularly, the last conversation I had with the folks at the DOD, there was interest on behalf of this threat actor in a cars and ground to air communications on airplanes. I don't have a lot, a whole lot of information other than that, to be honest with you. Uh, that was just what was told to me by some analysts at the uh, Department of Defense. Got it. So just to kind of conclude it, so how were you all able to ultimately resolve it and move forward, you know, up until today with, with a secure network? Yeah, so like I said, we came to a point where we were able to contain and mitigate that. So once we had identified all the systems, all the accounts, and everything that had been compromised in the environment, we had a long, basically a long weekend where we just worked about 48 hours around the clock. We rebuilt servers we as much as we could, reset usernames and passwords for all of the employees inside the company, all the executives inside the company. Um, we ended up doing several system complete rebuilds, really to kind of, as well as deleting a bunch of remote uh, access toolkits that the, the uh, attacker has left behind. Yeah, it was a very long and grueling process to kind of get to a point of resolution. We actually still have maintained those as two separate networks. With that said, our, our, our integration plan actually worked well in, in our favor for that. The integration plan was being Virgin in Alaska because the plan was essentially not to keep any of, of the Virgin infrastructure. The plan was is we were going to move the Virgin flights into the Alaska system. And so we were able to kind of maintain segmentation between those two environments and actually we still actually make expectation between those two environments today, although there's not much left in that legacy Virgin environment. Um, with a handful of systems that are, are still are still around. So that was pretty much how we handled it as far as kind of resolution and, and, and kind of maintaining that segmentation between the two environments.
You're now listening to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast, hosted by the editors of the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. You can subscribe to the podcast and make suggestions for topics and guests at gcasummit.com slash podcast. Apple and Android users can also find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play.